Radio.org. <laughs> and um, I am an exercise physiologist, and I am a nutrition professor, and I've competed in strength sports before. And this is Charles Staley, creator of Escalating Density Training and author of Muscle Logic. Um, Phil Stevens, uh, most notably, I guess, recent national record holder in the APF, uh, my first 700-pound deadlift, and I do believe I still hold Midwest and Regional Records 242 class in the APA. Oh, yeah. Phil's just a certifiable beast. <laughs> hey, well, listen, everybody, we have a guest today that you're just going to love. He's one of my long-time clients, one of my longest-time clients, as a matter of fact. His name is uh, Matt Lisk. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's so cool. Matt, Matt just uh, just uh, came back from uh, uh, about a week at our facility, Bed and Barbell in Gilbert, Arizona. And uh, while he was there, he showed us uh, a new book that he's written uh, called The Burrito Diet. And uh, when he kind of first showed this to me i'm like you got to be kidding me you know and then it's and it's sort of it's sort of funny because i like anybody who knows me knows that like i'm uh like johnny white bread to the max and i can't tolerate any kind of spice or mexican food or anything like that but uh i got reading his book and it is so good and so we just immediately asked matt if he would come on the show and uh kind of talk to us about the book you can find more about it on burrito diet.com and uh Matt, despite the fact that that you have a lifelong interest in in, in health and fitness, um, I guess at some point along the way you gained a bunch of weight. Was it just kind of due to professional obligations and just like kind of like uh, life catching up to you? Well, you know, it's it's funny, Charles. Actually, um, I've struggled with my my weight pretty much my entire life. Um, you know, I was always the the chubby kid, and uh, you know, I was always the one who was uh, falling behind in the pack. Uh, during baseball practice because everybody was out running and I was kind of just lumbering along. So um, I guess around my mid-20s, I had done one of those uh, Body for Life contests. And uh, I had gone from about, uh, when I started, I was, uh, you know, working full-time 50 to 60 hours a week um, and uh, went from about 240 to about 190 pounds, 6% 6% body fat in uh, about four months. So, um, you know, at that point, I had the body that uh, anybody could have ever wanted. Um, but slowly, over time, uh, both professional obligations and family obligations, it started to creep back on little by little by little by little yeah, yeah. to the point where I was over and above where I started at the beginning of the Body for Life contest, and I was up to about 300 pounds. You were up there a bit. I mean, if you go to burritodiet.com, Matt's got some uh, some photos and uh, some video also. And uh, uh, I was shocked to see the photo because, Matt, you're pretty lean and mean right now. And uh, Oh, thank you. <laughs> actually, the reason Matt probably was uh, lumbering on the playground is Matt is like like total like uh, cut from lifting uh, genetics and uh, has great levers and probably is 100% fast twitch and really has great athletic uh, stock, you know. But uh, <laughs> um, we uncovered some of that while he was out uh, with us. But so... You 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 gained all this weight, and then uh, I, I mean, literally, you just lost this weight eating burritos, right? I mean, yeah, like, absolutely. I mean, people like I know people are going to say, "Come on," but like you told me the story while you're out here, and that's how you did it, right? So yeah, absolutely. It's funny because um, you know, one day I, I woke up and was um, I think I was online, and I saw the uh, 
those ads for the, you know, it was like the one flat belly rule that you must obey. And uh, you click through and it was, uh, you know, touting the acai berry, right, as the wonder drug for weight loss. And um, then you go to three more sites and funny enough, it's all the same pictures and all the same content. It's just different names. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's funny. They all had two kids. They all saw it on Oprah. They all, you know, met Dr. Oz and, you know, um, all the stuff. And I realized that, man, uh, there's a lot of just bad information out there, uh, over time. And I said, I think people would be interested in how I did it. And, uh, so I, I keep meticulous records when I, when I do something like this. And I went back and I looked through it and I just saw this pattern of tortilla, 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 wrapped it in a tortilla, did this with a tortilla. And I said, wow, I never realized I just subconsciously had done this. Hmm. Uh, you know, in order to, to get myself through it, it wasn't a, really a thing that I had thought about. And I said, I really kind of lived on burritos for eight months of my life, and I still do now. <laughs> uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner three times a day. Well, Matt, wow. when you were when you were talking to me about the book, and I know you expressed, um, you know, as a responsible person, you ex- you you expressed some concern, like, oh, well, you know, I mean, I don't have n- nutritional credentials, and I, and I just told you, I said, well, yeah, well, you'll just have to explain to people that, you know, well, I, I don't have any, uh, I don't have a nutrition degree, but I lost 80 pounds, and here's how I did it. So there's my credentials. So <laughs> so that's the value. I want to just make make sure that people understand, uh, Matt is not a registered dietitian. You know, he doesn't have a Ph.D. like uh, Dr. Lowry has, but on the other hand, he lost 80 pounds, and, and he's going to tell you how he did it. So, so that's the credentials. So, so you talk about the burrito. So the, the, the linchpin in this whole thing, right, is, is the tortilla itself. And yep. I thought you just had a great way of explaining why that tortilla um, is such a, a powerful tool in the gist of all this. So, so tell people what that is. Yeah, um, well, you know, if there's... If I had to say there's, you know, five commandments of successful weight loss, and, and one of them is absolutely uh, thou shalt exercise portion control. Um, you know, obviously, you've got to create a calorie deficit, and there's, you know, tons of ways you can do that. Uh, but one of them is is to get your, your portions in control. And, um, you know, I just found that the tortilla um, naturally did that for you. You could only fit so much food in that tortilla, assuming you weren't using one of the, you know, 13-inch gigantic <laughs> ones. ones. Yeah. yeah. Um, that if you were using the reasonably sized 8-inch to 10-inch tortilla, that you would naturally control how much you were eating in a meal, assuming you didn't eat, you know, three burritos that meal. That's so um, cool. Yeah, it, it worked out extremely well. Um, and then the key was really figuring out what w- what needed to go inside. Um, so that's where... Uh, I knew enough to be dangerous, and I knew uh, where, where to find my information. Um, you know, and you learn pretty quickly uh, the importance of fiber, the importance yeah. of uh, protein, uh, the importance of uh, fruits and vegetables in uh, in achieving that satiety, that feeling of fullness that uh, is so often lacking in people who are on you know diet plans or reduced calorie plans. Yeah. And, and there's so many good tortillas out there now, right? And I don't know if they were out when you were initially doing this, but it's so easy to find really high fiber and, for that matter, high protein tortillas. 
Yeah, so absolutely. In addition to being the container that, that sets the, it becomes the governor for your intake, on top of that, it's kind of ensuring your fiber intake. Exactly. Yep. And, uh, you know, the one of the other commandments I would say is thou shalt maintain your regularity. Um, and by having <laughs> these high-fiber tortillas, um, you know, you you are keeping your system moving as well. Uh, if you're keeping your water consumption um, at adequate levels, not four gallons a day, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you know the 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 fiber also greatly contributes to that feeling of satiety. So it was just a, a natural fit. And you know you alluded to the, to the tortillas. I really didn't have much of a selection when I started it. I stumbled across uh, the tortillas that I use, and now uh, people have a tremendous amount of products uh, in their local grocery stores. I had to order mine online and wait for my case to come. And right. you know. Well, uh, it, so it, it is just sort of funny because we're here in Phoenix, Arizona. We're just, you know, a stone's throw from the border, and, and Mexican food is so big here. And uh, but, but you know, the, one of the first things I said to you when you were uh, over at Bed and Barbell is like, you know, you got to get the message out that like you don't need to, you don't need to like Mexican food on any level. I mean, you can you can have uh, a, an egg burrito, you know, for breakfast or whatever. Mm -hmm. You can just literally, you know, the sky's the limit in terms of what, what you put in it. So yeah, absolutely. I don't want people to get sort of sidelined by this whole thing. Well, I don't like Mexican foods, and I'm not about that at all, right? Right. And, you know, it's funny because um, when I was putting the book together and I had the uh, the graphic artist, you know, doing some of the, um, the layouts, and I said, uh, you know what, I'm – I don't want people to get confused with the Mexican theme. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's funny, and I, you know, I think it's it's a good hook. But I, you know, I I really want them to be concerned with, you know, it's not about burritos per se. I use the term loosely. It could be wraps. You know, people like to call them wraps. Sure. Uh, it's really that concept of putting good, healthy food in the tortilla, rolling it up, and taking it with you on the go. And that's that's really what this is all about. It's so. So, cool. Matt, let me ask you a question. Sure. If you were going to talk to someone else about this and they said, well, how come everyone in the Southwest or in Mexico isn't ripped? Because, <laughs> they're, eating, because they're eating lots of burritos, right? Could you, so you got the fiber, the portion control, you mentioned protein. So these are special burritos. These are not burrito supremes from Taco Bell, right? Exactly. And that, that's another, uh, you know, very key point is that these are, uh, these are custom made you make them at home burritos and i think uh one of the things that people uh get confused with is um you know they see all these diets like uh the subway diet and there's actually another guy who uh had the chipotle diet right where he uh ate one huge burrito a day and that was all he ate and he did lose weight but uh you know if you see his pictures he's kind of a little soft looking but um this this is about making your food at home and controlling what you're putting in. And, you know, if you look at some of those commercial burritos, there's a lot of trans fats in them. There's a lot of lard. There's a lot of, you know, high-fat cheeses and and ingredients that I wouldn't personally recommend. Um, but on the flip side, uh, I do, uh, when you get the book, I do provide uh, what I call a fast food guide, which is if you are in a pinch, and you are out somewhere, here's some things that you could uh, do. And it's really based on my life when I lived in a hotel for four nights a week for eight months. Wow. Uh, here's how, here's what my coping strategy was. And, you know, sometimes it was the socially awkward experience of walking into a McDonald's with your tortilla 
and ordering the grilled chicken sandwich and scraping off the mayonnaise and dumping it into your tortilla and eating it. And, you know, did people laugh? Yeah, you know, they chuckled, oh, what are you doing? Uh, but at the time, I saved 200 calories just by ditching the bun and, and putting it in the high-fiber tortilla. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little behavior change, but at the same time, it's, it's a perfect food for you to take in the car with you, take on the train, on the plane, uh, driving the kids to soccer practice. It's a way to get a great, quick, healthy meal in. So great. And the, but there's so much practical stuff in this book, and I just want to, you know, and, you know, make it clear that um, this is a book about behavior modifications and and about techniques that really work. And the burrito part of this is is really just kind of a, a metaphor. But um, one of the things I was going to tell you, Matt, that's so funny is every once in a while I'll like I'll see something and I'm like, yeah, you know, I ought to I ought to just make myself like a, like a breakfast burrito, you know. So then I'm, you know, stupid me. I'm like in the kitchen. I don't literally don't even know how to like fold the tortilla. <laughs> I'm like a total idiot, and like you know, the stuff's like all falling all over me because I just like roll the stupid thing up. And so what Matt teaches you, and I don't know if I'm the only person if I'm just like living in isolation, but like he shows you how to fold the burrito so it holds the stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so now, ever since you left, I've been eating like a breakfast burrito every morning. So just That's... just that one little trick is so worth it. That's what I'm hoping, uh, is that people spreading burrito love around the world. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, um, any other any other questions from Matt, uh, for Matt, from Phil, or from Lonnie? Um, I guess. Um, I mean, I kind of see this as a bit endless. I mean, I know there's people out there. You could twist this a bit, and I know we talked about it, to where you know you could eventually make like the burrito bulk, and you got so much room. And here's your ingredients. Get it in there. Yep. You know, Absolutely. for people that have, I mean, we deal with a lot of people that have trouble gaining weight as well. Yep. And, and you know, and you got this portion, make it count. Yep. And you, you know, you can adjust the parameters of it. You can get the bigger tortillas, right? And you can uh, put in more stuff and and adapt it that way for all different types of purposes. It's really the the burrito is is uh, the ability to keep up with today's hectic lifestyle. Um, as opposed to, to dropping into Sonic or whatever drive-through is yours of choice, um, this is bringing it yourself and, and getting in the, the nutrients that you need. You know, I think a big point there. There's a couple. One is you plan, right? It, you mm-hmm. don't get the freaky clown in the red wig planning your diet. You plan nope. your diet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and it's portable. I mean, one of my favorite things with athletes is portability. Because, you know, a, a lot of college guys, for example, they won't take the time to prepare a meal. But if you could prepare stuff in advance, you know, you've got these very quantifiable portions. And like Phil was alluding to, you could big portions for gain, smaller portions for loss. But mm-hmm. it helps you kind of count, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you you know you can measure out all your ingredients. You know the exact um, you know contents of the of the tortilla itself. Um, and you know, it, let me be clear about this. I am not a cook, nor do I pretend to be one. So you know, this is great for the 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 you know the college athlete who's got uh, great microwave skills, right? You crack. Yeah. Uh, two eggs in a bowl and throw in some uh, frozen pepper strips and all of a sudden and you know maybe you dice up a piece of ham for something fancy and now you all of a sudden you've got this great western omelet 
that you've controlled what goes into it, and you can dump it in your tortilla, wrap it in foil, and and hit the road. Go to practice. Go wherever you need to go. That's a good point about the putting the veg in there because I talk to a lot of uh, athletes who, you know, I'm stunned. They have zero fruit or vegetable intake. I mean, literally zero. And at least this is a way to do that, right? <laughs> and it's it, you know I, I I try to to get through to people is that use these things that uh, are to your advantage. There's you know it's frozen fruits and vegetables have come a long way. Uh, they're extremely fresh. They're very easy to use. You can always have them on hand. Um, you know, pepper strips is one example. I have uh, blueberries, blackberries, uh, raspberries in the freezer uh, that dump right into protein shakes. Um, you know, all these things that are, are meant to make your life convenient. Um, some of them you have to watch. You have to be a label reader. Uh, so you can't just, you know, blindly buy the, the pre-prepared chicken breast because it's pretty high in sodium and those type of things. But, um, you know, there are ways to cut corners and really keep up with your lifestyle without, um, you know, being uh, behind the stove the whole the whole day. Just to clarify, now, you also used protein shakes along with the burritos, right? Was there anything else that you did? I mean... Um, yeah, I did use protein shakes. Um, and those were really... Uh, a great way to supplement the protein income, uh, pr- protein intake, sorry. Um, because, you know, there were times when I just, I couldn't get the, the cottage cheese in, in in the right, uh, time frame or I missed a meal or something so I could add in the shake and, and balance myself out. Uh, other than that, a great multivitamin, uh, green tea and, and fish oils. I think those were the, the, the three things consistently. Uh, that I was making sure I was getting uh, on a daily basis. Nice. Well, um, Matt, I, I appreciate you being here with us uh, again and, and describing the book, and I just can't uh, recommend it highly enough, uh, burritodiet.com. And, you know, a lot of people listening um, to this interview kind of have uh, fairly advanced nutrition skills, but, you know, if you've got somebody in your life who you just kind of can't get them eating better, somebody maybe who needs to lose some weight or they just kind of don't get it. This book is such a great primer on just the basics of good eating habits in terms of portion control and in terms of, you know, all the practical issues that are involved and, uh, you know, even even recipes and meal plans and just, you know, fiber and, and just all the stuff that most of us kind of understand um, it's, it's a great general nutrition primer, so uh, we, we want to really spread the word. So, Matt, thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, I, I, I think that uh, obesity and, and overweight, um, pheno- it's, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Um, I don't know if you saw there was a story today about uh, some of the things going on in Australia where they're having to make uh, their uh, air ambulance is bigger to be able to carry heavier people, That's and they have to make their coffins bigger, and they have to make their toilets stronger. <laughs> and Sorry. you know, it's, it, that yeah, it's appropriate, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they, seriously, that's the, those are the three industries that are are literally booming in Australia because of this uh, global obesity problem. And yeah. you know, I'm just one guy, 
and I, I wanted to share with people the way I conquered it, and I thought it, it was a common sense way well, to do it, and I hope you found a solution, out. and uh, it worked for you, and uh, people are more similar than they are different, so this will work for you too. So if you're listening to this and you need a way to, to make this happen, burritodiet.com, and uh, Matt, thanks again. Thank you. Okay, and I guess it's time for uh, the week's topic. I just wanted to mention one more thing. Okay. Um, I sent out an email. <clears throat> I'm going to be picking, and it's due to this topic, um, sent out an email about picking two two questions at the end, and what we're giving away is two cases of tortillas. To the two questions that come in Nice. So during the show. And, uh, those Can I just add that I'm here now, too? And Rob's here. Or Chris. I've been here for about the last 20 minutes. But uh, uh, I, I just didn't have a convenient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, one quick note, Phil. Are those the the La Tortilla Factory tortillas? Yes, sir, they are. Okay. The, the, I just wanted to let everybody know these are the tortillas that I started out using, and I still use today. They taste great, and they're they're perfect for this plan. So, ask away. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. Here we go to the topic of the day. All right, Rob, what you got for us? Oh, well, today's topic is, uh, well, we're going to be discussing um, the um, effects of, of strength and on muscle gain. But um, Phil's the one with the guest today, so. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Tom, I was not aware of it. Okay. Um, yeah, I just know that the uh, the topic of the day we we're we we're going to discuss building strength for building size what was the topic chosen. So I mean I guess just just the parameters of of how you go about that and I mean generally what's happening today is you see a lot of people that they want to get huge and and they want to bypass the basic the basic just getting strong first. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know what? If uh, if you look at some uh, research on this, and I'm just going to do this very briefly, but I strongly suggest people go to PubMed or or do some web searches for a guy named Digby Sale, S A L E. Uh, in the late '70s, he started doing research on uh, neuromuscular changes with strength training versus hypertrophy. I mean, because that's kind of the topic here, isn't it? Do you try to get big and then? maybe not be as strong or do you get strong in order to be big and I just want to read a couple of very brief quotes I'm not going to uh, bore people to death but just listen to this is how muscle hypertrophy and strength can sometimes split right people assume if you're bigger you're just stronger well of course that's true to a point but that relationship can fray a little so here's here's one of his quotes from a 1977 paper uh, Training resulted in an 11% increase in arm circumference and a 28% increase in maximal elbow extension strength. So you can see that there's a, a difference in size versus the strength there. Of course, there's neuromuscular uh, improvements going on there. And then when he immobilized these limbs, immobilization resulted in a decrease in arm circumference of about 5%, but a decrease in strength of 
35%. So I just want to illustrate with things like that that there can be a little bit of a disconnect between strength and size. Did you say that last, that last uh, piece of data again? Yeah, when they, he immobilized their arms, and I can't imagine being in that study, that would kind of stink, probably with a cast on your arm or something, but immobilization resulted in a decrease in arm circumference of 5%, but a decrease in elbow extension strength of 35%. Wow, that's huge. So just to show the split there, you know, and a lot of Digby Sales work will, will illustrate similar things, that you can have strength gains. In fact, I, I'm reminded of a, a very famous landmark paper he did, and I use the graph all the time even today, uh, probably in the early 80s, where he showed that when people start to weight train, of course, their strength goes up pretty dramatically just in the first several weeks, long before they become massive, right, before hypertrophy really kind of kicks in. So that really begs the question. Obviously, the engine is not the only thing driving the strength, but it's the wiring going to that engine, right? I always figured that the idea behind that was that, <clears throat> and tell me long or whatever if I'm wrong, but probably the body's trying to maximize the use of what it already has before it has to go through the effort of trying to accumulate some more tissue that, and then have the headache of trying to maintain it. Good, good insight. It's, it's, more, it's more economical to strengthen the nervous system than it is to lay on additional tissue. Right. So it's like make, make, you know, make use, the best use you can of the engine you already have before you have to go to a bigger engine block kind of a thing. Great analogy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, one of our little pet sayings to clients uh, out here in Phoenix is that, you know, um, you know the, the, the nervous system has to be able to access muscle fibers before those fibers can be trained. So that, that falls in line with what Lonnie was just saying about that, that strength increases before hypertrophy. It's, it's, it really is the precursor. You know, I think that carries over into certain supplements, too. You'll hear very famous researchers like Pete Lemon or uh, Jeff Volek. They'll talk about what's called a super training effect. Uh, and they might be talking about creatine use, for example, right, because creatine can, in fact, increase performance or you know, power output. And therefore, that kind of supra-training effect leads to bigger muscles over time because you're moving more weight. And it's it's kind of the, a similar concept, I think. Well, I've always said that you always train. I, I I've I've said many many times to people that you know that the whole idea of going to the gym to get bigger. I always say that you what you should train your mentality to is go to the gym to become stronger, and then then through that, as Lonnie's saying, you know you can just start accumulating more tissue just from the the fact that you're using more weight in your in your regular training. And people always say, well, I'm not a power lifter, I'm not strength, I'm just interested in muscle, but they don't seem to understand that strength doesn't necessarily have, you know, one dimension of absolute strength. It has, you know, the rainbow of strength, you know, all the way up to, like, bodybuilders with, you know, 8s, 10s, 12s, 15s, so. Rob, I'm um, sure with your background in bodybuilding and, and, and the media, I'm sure you could kind of uh, substantiate that, you know, back in the day before, before all the modern drug advances and things like Synthrol and stuff, uh, most of the real successful bodybuilders really had a big focus on strength training, and they were all very strong. Oh, yeah. I mean, most, most of the guys back in the golden era, easily. Um, in fact, if you really want, we're going to go way, way, way back, um, 
they actually did both very successfully, and some of them came from weightlifting backgrounds and so forth. But um, even as recently as 20, 30 years ago, some of the top guys at that point could have easily stepped in with, uh, you know, several months of direct training and, and, you know, been competitive at the world level in different strength sports, um, powerlifting, strongman's type stuff. And if you, if you recall, um, guys like Franco Colombo, Mr. Olympia, 76-81, he, you know, he used to compete in the uh, World Strongman competitions. Lou Ferrigno did one. Um, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was a, a powerlifting champion that had a great deadlift. Um, yeah, I mean, they were all hugely strong. And, and, I mean, certainly the guys today are strong, too, but I think they're strong today for kind of a different reason. <laughs> I think it's more of a chemical-induced strength today. I think, Sorry? I think where the topic I think where the topic hits the most, and you kind of touched on it, is um, you see it a lot today, and and kids starting off fresh, and they're trying to do, you know, four sets of 10, four sets of 12, you know, or sets of 15, 20-rep squats. And one thing i got to constantly tell them, I mean, they see these big guys doing that stuff, and it just doesn't register that, that load does matter. Um, you know, someone doing 20 reps with 20-pound dumbbells is a big difference in between a, a big, strong guy doing 20 reps with 200-pound dumbbells. <laughs> it's, you need That strength needs to be built first um, before you can go into that expect to gain size from from a higher rep protocol. You know, if you're do, if you can punch out just body weight squats for 20 reps, I'm sorry, you're not going to get huge. Take the time to get get strong first. Yeah, that really goes back to the ACSM recommendations that intermediate guys or beyond really have to be using 85% of their one rep max or so. Maybe not on every lift, maybe not on speed work or accessory work, but you know what I mean. There has to be that load, that tension requirement there. I mean, that's what, uh, recently on Elite Fitness, I was reading, like, Matt, Matt K's logs, and they were asking, you know, why are you doing 30-rep, you know, rows? And he's like, well, because I'm doing 30-rep rows with 400 pounds. <laughs> you know, it's a big difference than you doing it with 25. You know, if that, I'll get significant growth out of that. Well, I think, I think you know, a lot of bodybuilders are built on volume, and I think the recent phenomenon um, of a lot of the contemporary uh, stars of the sport, you know, doing the kind of Dory Neat thing, you know, or, you know, what they called a kind of heavy-duty thing that Mike Menser was pioneering, you know, off of Arthur Jones, and that was, you know, um, incredible intensity, but low, 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 low work volume and high, 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 you know, percentage of, you know, of uh, load. And I don't think that really is the key for most um non-drug-using bodybuilders. I, I think you really do need to... I mean, I, I hate to say this because for the longest time I kind of hated the concept of doing this, but I, I think there has to be a certain amount of volume that's uh, that's used. But, as Phil says, it has to be volume, you know, utilizing a certain degree of load. I mean, you can't... Um, and that just comes from strength. So there certainly has to be, um, in, in, a, in a lifter's early years, and at select periods of time, Later on, as they're in, you know, as they become intermediate and more advanced lifters, where they actually do, you know, um, prioritize a, a segment of, of their sessions towards just the you know the building of strength, so they they can then utilize those greater loads for volume workouts. You know, without the volume thing at all, 
I think a lot of people over-focus. I've seen a lot of articles online and things like that where people over-focus on um, actin and myosin, you know, muscle contractile proteins, and they just go on and on about it, and they don't realize that the the act of training uh, that does have a certain volume requirement, that builds all kinds of surrounding soft tissue uh you know, epimesium and, and paramecial sheaths and all these uh, support structures too. And I think a lot of these guys you see that are just gassed out of their skull, they get so hypertrophied, they stuff their muscle cells so full of basically water and some contractile proteins too, but, but they haven't spent a lot of time paying their dues, you know, so they don't have the support structures and then you see them ripping their pec off their humerus and, and stuff like that. That that what you just said also would probably lend itself to probably the theory that of of why those types of people come off the stuff and they and they just shrink so so horrifically and lose so much body weight because they they just don't have all those like you say Lonnie all those things like those uh, uh built you know extra built structures and you know the bone densification all all those types of things so they just kind of all they are is kind of like a big water bag. And you know what, too? This is the second time in this conversation that we've talked about uh, a, a relationship between, let's say, testosterone or hormone concentrations and strength. Uh, if readers want to go look at some original work on this over the last 10 years, there was a very famous researcher I saw speak in Finland. His name is uh, Hakkinen is his last name, H-A-K-K-I-N-E-N. And here's a quote from just one of his papers uh, quote, significant correlations existed between individual values of free testosterone and testosterone and those of muscle strength. So you're gassed, your testosterone levels are really high, you're going to be very, very strong and indeed strong enough to rip tendons off of bones if necessary. Mm-hmm. So I think that a lot of it is they people generally, they want to put the cart before the horse. And it's another one of those they want instant results and don't want to put in the time to just get strong. Like Rob was talking about, I mean, many of the, the bodybuilders from 15, 20 years ago, they had a base in strength training prior to then going to volume. And it takes years. And people don't want to admit that. Well, you that's know, such a great They want point. everything in 30 minutes. And you know and what? They want to... That's why training is such a great metaphor uh, for life when it when it comes to just having successful habits because you cannot unlike other things in strength training you cannot cram you know you can cram for a test in college you cannot cram strength training uh okay yes you can take steroids or different things but but basically you have to put in the work mm-hmm. well absolutely <clears throat> it seems it seems to me that um Bodybuilding has come to a point where you get these 15, 16, and 17-year-old guys who get into it with the intent of being a competitive bodybuilder, where I think years and years ago, or only, you know, as little as, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, um, guys kind of just got into weight training because they wanted to be bigger and stronger, oftentimes for, for separate sports, um, be it football or what have you. Um, and today they just get into it and they just want to be bodybuilders. Um, and I think that's the wrong way to look at it because then the only thing on the stage in bodybuilding as a competitive sport is just the aesthetic. So they really don't care about what their strength is. And I've heard and seen many times um, these young guys say things like, I don't really care 
what I can bench or what I can lift. All I care is what I look like. In fact, yeah. when I saw a recent seminar uh, by um, Jay Cutler, who was Mr. Olympia a couple times, um, this is two years ago now, or last year actually, somebody asked how much he bench pressed, and he says, I have no idea. And the guy was like, well, what, like 500 pounds? He says, I have no idea. He says, I don't really even care what I can bench press as long as I look like I can bench 500 pounds. I just kind of thought that was a cop-out. But Even for someone who's a hardcore bodybuilder, I mean, I'm kind of unapologetic in that way, but I can't false advertise either, you know. A lot of that's all show and no go, you know. Absolutely. I mean, it's certainly then people will ask, well, isn't a guy like Jake Cutler strong? Well, of course he's strong. I mean, he's massively strong uh, compared to the average, but um, for a guy his size, um, he's not strong. So, I mean, you have to look at it both ways. Yes, he's very, very strong, but not very, very strong like you might imagine he might be a 300-pound would be if that same 300-pound man was competing at the, you know, at the elite level in powerlifting and so forth. You know, Fortress, that reminds me of when you spoke about uh, watching Paul Dillette, uh and just doing pushdowns with absurdly little weights with these giant guns. Yeah, in fact, he was just leaning against the machine like after a set of pushdowns, which was done with about 40 pounds anyway. And then he would just finish and just kind of like lean at a you know a very very shallow angle against the machine and just start doing like you know close grip presses off the machine for like a hundred reps, that kind wow. of thing. You know, and I, I I've seen him do you know stiff leg deadlifts in the Smith machine with uh, 55 pounds. Wow. You know, we're talking about a guy who was 320 pounds at the time. So I don't know. And if you if you ask me, those types of bodybuilders, although at his prime he was. Every inch of freak, Freakenstein, they called him. Um, there, were, there was something lacking in his physique as far as um, if you had that kind of knowing eye of what to look for as far as the, um, you know, the functionality of his physique and so forth and, you know, what, what you think he would be capable of. I remember him once saying in an article, um, somebody asked him about squatting, do you squat? He says, no, I lay press, blah, blah, blah. It's better for me and my development. But uh, he says, but, you know, if I want to squat, I could easily just squat 700 pounds if I wanted to. I just thought that was so ignorant because there's no way in hell he would be able to support that weight. It would drive him through the, through the floor. So, um, so true. I don't know. And, and again, like I mean, do I am I suggesting that he couldn't leg press a lot of weight? Well, sure, but um, you know, as we're as we've been talking about, um, he never put the strength training as a priority in his training, so he didn't have the structure to be able to actually, um, you know, display strength in an athletic way. You know, I, you know, he had to do it in a machine where so many um, parts of the uh, of the, the motion were were supported by steel and pulleys and so forth. You know, if, if his body had to act in that way, it would have just folded like a cheap card table. So. Um, <laughs> that's my little way of uh, getting everybody's attention. Uh, we better move on to the two questions, but we're going to run out of time here, fellas. Okay. So, um, let me see what we got here. First one, James from Cincinnati. Um, all the talk about you know building strength for size and whatnot. He is wondering, but aren't there two different kinds of hypertrophy? Yeah, and uh, Lonnie actually alluded to that a little while ago. I mean, you can enlarge the contractile elements of muscle fiber, the actin and myosin. Um, components, 
or you can and or you can enlarge the non-contractile uh, portion of the muscle, which is sarcoplasm, and it's called sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. And of course, there are different ways of uh, of doing both. So yeah, there are two different kinds, and clearly. If your goal is to be as muscular as possible, you want to exploit both of those. And uh, uh, the way you do that for uh, the, the contractile elements of the muscle is, is more what you would think of as classic strength training, relatively heavy weights and or acceleration, uh, many sets of low repetitions. Um, and then... Um, in terms of sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, then you're talking more of the higher higher repetition sets where you're uh, creating more volume. So uh, you'd want both of those components in your program if you're looking to maximize both. But on the other hand, uh, if you are a competitive strength athlete, you want to minimize the volume component of training because clearly you want to be as strong as you can for your weight class. So you're, you're looking for more relative strength or more pound-for-pound strength. So that was a good question. Yeah, to add to that, I mean, this is something I'm coming up to now. I mean, I've been primarily focused on just strength for quite some time. And, uh, yeah, I've done some volume work, but not a lot. And, uh, you know, I've, of course, I've added size by just strength training. But, I mean, you, you get heavy lifts and you're done. But I'm coming up to a point where I know I need to add some lean mass just some more cross-sectional fibers to get more strength. And so after a long bout of heavy, heavy training and adding that strength on, now I'm going to do a couple months of just kind of focusing on a bit more volume and adding some mass and try to come in same weight a little leaner, you know, and just more lean tissue. So I think it's a matter of, like Charles was saying, you need to hit both, but then do it for your goals. I mean, if you're a strength athlete or, or somebody that's just looking to get huge, it's going to be a bit different, but I think I think anybody who's who's involved in any sort of weight training, to what end doesn't matter. You have to incorporate a little bit of both. I mean, I think, however, how much you uh, prioritize each part of the training depends again on whether you are again a pure strength athlete or just kind of concerned with muscularity. I think that I think, but at the base level, you have to, to some degree of percentage wise, you have to kind of incorporate both. So. Okay. Lonnie, uh, question? I want to jump in on that. Yeah, we got one more. Um, it's a book, too, and it's addressed to Matt. Uh, from Chris Palermo from Stanhope, New Jersey. Matt, I've known you for about the past 10 years, and you've always been a. Where we go? You've always been a fan of both fitness and nutritional information. So, I want you wish you the best of luck spreading your message. That being said, I have two questions. I do love the powerless, especially squats and deadlifts. Is there a way to incorporate powerless into a regular fitness regimen where my goals are for overall fitness? Or am I wasting my time not training for sport focused on necessarily strength? Can they be long in a, in a fat loss regimen? Number two, being the father of two children under the age of three, my time is tight. What is the best bang for the buck in the weight room if I only had 30 minutes every once in a while? This is probably why I like the powerless. Thank you. Um, I'll say, Chris, I think you're on it, man. Um, I'd argue that during a fat loss regimen, it's more important to keep the training very focused, very brief, and heavy. Uh, You're trying to preserve muscle tissue, and the best way to do that is keep the loads up. Make your body have to have that tissue. 
and, and do it re- in very often. Um, and you, you don't have the intake to, to heal that tissue when I'm a hypocalic diet. Yeah, actually, Phil and I talked about this when I was out at the bed and barbell was that uh, you know, I didn't go into a tremendous amount of detail about this in, in my book because I, I wanted people to focus on the eating aspect. But, yeah, I mean, my my sets and rep ranges uh, were definitely on the lower end, you know, two uh, to four and, and keeping the weights heavy just because, like you said, I couldn't spend, you know, an hour in the gym all the time and, and uh, I needed to recover uh, as fast as I could. So uh, definitely going on the heavy side, so. Anybody else want to add anything to that? Mm-hmm. No? <laughs> Thumbed it up really well. Well, I think that's about it. The only thing I have to say then is um, Chris and James, neither of you, I don't have contact information. If you could email me at phil at staleytraining.com, P-H-I-L at staley, S-T-A-L-E-Y, training.com, and uh, we'll get those tortillas out to you. Cool. All right. I guess so, everybody. Good show. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Thank you for having me again. I appreciate it. It was a good show. And uh, next week, uh, what's on the docket, fellas? I think it's Cassandra, maybe? No, it's John Doyle. It's John Doyle, and I will be talking about improving your relationship to physical activity, and uh, it'll be a good one. Okay. Well, until next time. Okay, everybody. Bye, everybody. See you next week. <laughs>